Take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 6. And as you're turning there, let me uh, just tell you about um, one of our ministries that we have going on that um, uh, is sort of an ongoing uh, ministry. It's Bill's Backpacks. And we, uh, my understanding is we have, some, we have some needs coming up. Is it this weekend? Is this going to be a long weekend or the following? Okay. Well, we're okay. So, our bills back back to ministry is about to come to a close for this year, for this school year, and so let's finish well. And if uh, you can help us out, uh, is it enough to bring some uh, some supplies next Sunday, this coming Sunday, or do you need something prior to that? Okay. So, uh, if y'all can bring something by next Sunday. Uh, that would really help us out and help uh, Melody's ministry uh, to some of these families. So, um, what's that? Well, it's it is, but it's uh, but you you've done a fantastic job in really ministering to these these kids because it's a, it's a way to touch their lives that we otherwise wouldn't be able to. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, and. Um, you know, this, this weekend's been sort of a fun weekend. Yesterday, um, Chase and Sarah got, uh, they got uh, married, and uh, we're just excited for them. That was just a fun wedding, and uh, Kobe did a, he did a great job in uh, officiating that, and uh, it was just a really fun time. And what made it so, so much fun, I think, was that uh, Chase and Sarah just really seemed to be a real good fit. Childhood friends, they love the Lord, and uh, so I think they really made a good decision, a great decision in, in getting married. You know, in all of our lives, we face decisions all the time. Sometimes the decision is, what are we going to have for lunch? You know, but, but other times the decision is, you know, who am I going to marry? Or should I go to college? Or should I enter the workforce? Or should I just sit at home and eat my parents' Doritos, or, you know, what am I going to do with life? And that may be more attractive to some. Dakota likes that idea. She likes that plan. So, um, you know, and if you choose plan three, plan C, you know, your parents may have a role in helping you make a different decision. But, uh, you know, the decisions that we make, they have a ripple effect in our lives. And sometimes it's just a little pebble and it really doesn't amount to much. But other times it is the kind of decision that has lifelong consequences, good or bad. The reality is, even in those humongous decisions, what kind of career am I going to have? Where am I going to go to college if I go to college? Um, what, um, who am I going to marry? Uh, even those humongous decisions that have a lifelong impact, the reality is there's some good and bad that comes with all of it. No matter what you decide, um, nothing is ever just the most perfect decision and won't ever face any problems at all. Even with marriage, because if you marry just the absolute right person for you, guess what? Your spouse is not the perfect marriage partner. 
and neither are you. And so there's going to be problems, even, even in a decision like that. And so every decision we make has an effect in our lives. And I want to talk today about the decisions that we make. Because there's one decision that we will make in our lifetime, even if we don't want to make it, even if we want to ignore it. And the decision is this, what are we going to do with Jesus? This decision is more impactful than any other decision. And you only have one of two options when it comes to Jesus Christ. Either you reject him or you receive him. That's it. It's black or white. It's one or the other. It's yes or no. And you will either reject Jesus or you will receive Jesus. And this decision will impact not just your life. Marriage will impact your life. Um, Other decisions, your career may impact your entire life. But the decision of what you do with Jesus Christ not only impacts your life, but it impacts eternity. It goes beyond this life. And so it is absolutely the most important decision that you'll ever, ever make. Today we're going to see two different groups of people. One group decided to reject Jesus, and the other decided to receive him and to follow him. Jesus, just to give you a little bit of background of where we're going in Mark chapter 6, Jesus had a mission. His mission we find in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. It says that Jesus came to people and he began to preach when his ministry began. And he said these words. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That was his mission, to tell people that message. Along with that mission came a a number of other benefits. People began to become healed because when the kingdom of God enters their life, it affects their bodies, it affects their spirit, it affects everything around them, their relationships. And so people's relationships began to be made right. People's physical bodies became became healed. And so what happened was people began to realize, hey, this Jesus guy, he's good for my healing. He can fix the broken things in my life. And so people began to come to Jesus for that instead of listening to the message. And the message was repent and believe in the gospel. That's what Jesus wanted people to hear. But many times they missed that because they were so interested in solving their own hurts. And so Jesus began to encounter some difficulties in his ministry. And finally, it sort of came to a head one time, and Mark tells one of his, what I've called, sandwich stories. He he puts two stories together and makes a sandwich out of them. And he begins to talk about, Mark Mark tells us the story about how Jesus' own family, his mom, his brothers and sisters, they came looking for him. And they were saying, he's lost his mind. He is out of his mind going around doing these things. And they were going to get them and bring them home because there's safety at home, right? And so they were going to bring him back to the house, and they were looking for him. Well, in the midst of that, Jesus entered another person's house, and he was uh, encountering some sinners, some taxpayers, some prostitutes, some, some ne'er-do-wells, some people that were just the, the lowest of the low in the social rung. And the scribes and the Pharisees that were there they, they looked at this situation. They began saying to themselves, you know, this guy isn't from God. If he was from God, he would know what kind of people 
are ministering to him and touching him and trying to relate to him. And he'd get himself out of this situation. And they said, his ministry must be from Satan. Jesus knew what they thought. And Jesus warned them. He said, this is my understanding, watch yourself. Don't ascribe the work of God to Satan. Because when you do, you're about to cross a line. And it's a line where you'll never be forgiven. So watch yourself. He called it the unforgivable sin. Well, after that episode, Mark tells us that Jesus' family came into the scene again. They found out where he was. They tried to get into the house, but the house was so crowded they couldn't get in. And someone said, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside. They're, they're looking for you. They're trying to get to you. And Jesus looked around and he famously said, who are my mother and my brothers and my sister? I'll tell you who they are. They're the people who obey God's will. These people, these prostitutes, these tax collectors who have listened to my message, repent and believe in the gospel, they are my mother and my brother and my sister. Jesus was rejected that day by his own family. He was rejected that day by the religious leaders. The people that accepted him were the people that you and I may be a little bit shocked if they came to church. Those were the people that accepted Jesus that day. And so this had a profound impact in Jesus' ministry. Today, we're going to see that Jesus goes back to his hometown, back to Nazareth, where he grew up. And he's going to get a very cold reception. The people that th thought they knew him best are going to be the people that reject him. And so they're not the only people in these two stories that we'll read about, but they're the first people in the story. And so in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, it says that Jesus went away from, from one place where he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, and he came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Now, these are the people that are about to reject him. And I want, I want you to know something, that being impacted by Jesus won't save you. I want you to hear this very carefully. Just because Jesus, because you can see the power of Jesus evident in this world, that's not enough to save you. Just because you can sense that what is going on might be real, that itself is not enough to save you. It says in verse 2 that these people who were in the synagogue that day, his hometown crowd, they were astonished. Literally, this word means they were knocked out. We'd use that same word of MMA or some boxer who knocks somebody out. Um, they're absolutely floored, literally floored. These people were absolutely, incredibly astonished at who Jesus has become, by what he said, by what he was doing. And, and in verse 2, we learned that the people had heard Jesus teaching, and they rejected Jesus. 
They were in the very presence of the Son of God, and they rejected him. Listen, you can experience Jesus' power. You can witness Jesus' miracles. You can feel Jesus' love and still reject him. You can be in the very presence of a church where Jesus is at work. And in the midst of that, you can reject him. Give you another example. The rich young ruler. You remember that story. Here's the rich young ruler. He knew who Jesus was. He knew what he needed to do. He knew he needed to follow Jesus. I mean, his theology was right. Everything was right except for one thing. He loved money more than Jesus. He loved money more. The rich young ruler were like these people. In the presence of God himself. And they turned away. It should be a warning to us that being impacted by Jesus won't save you. Acknowledging who Jesus is and what he has done, that won't save you either. That won't save you either. Look at verse 2 again. We read, on the, synagogue, on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who were with him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Think about what they just said. He has wisdom. Where did this wisdom come from? We've seen his miracles. How is he doing these things? They acknowledge who, he, who Jesus is. They acknowledge what Jesus was doing. And yet they rejected him. Years ago, I took uh, an evangelism course. Some of you may have taken it. Evangelism Explosion. Long, long time ago. Dr. G D. James Kennedy, the uh, late pastor of uh, the Presbyterian Church in Coral Gables, uh, came up with this system of sharing Christ. And in this system of sharing Christ, it's, it's pretty involved. It's 16 weeks, a lot of memorization of Scripture. And one of the things that you deal with when you share Christ with someone in this format is making sure that they understand that intellectual assent cannot save you. In other words, just in your head saying, yeah, I know who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. That doesn't save you. Yeah, I, I know that Jesus rose from the grave. That doesn't save you. That's intellectual assent. Another famous preacher said, you may miss heaven by 18 inches because there's a difference between what your head says and what your heart follows. Just knowing these things about Jesus doesn't save you. The demons acknowledge Jesus, right? And they're bound for hell. James chapter 2, verse 2 says, or 2:19 says, You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. And so just being impacted by Jesus, that won't save you. Acknowledging who he is, that won't save you. Being familiar with Jesus, that won't save you either. Look at verse 3. They say, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They were very familiar with Jesus. They saw this guy grow up. Right? In fact, what do they call him? They say, Isn't he the son of 
Mary, they don't mention Joseph by name. Why? This guy has a dubious beginning. We don't really know who the daddy is, they were saying. His parents, well, it's just Mary. That's what they were saying. It was an insult cast at Jesus. They had questions about the circumstances of his birth. Have you ever wondered what it was like when Jesus grew up? I've had that question before. Teenagers have asked me, hey, do you think Jesus had a, had a, had a girlfriend? Do you think girls liked him? Do you think he was cute? You know, uh, What was it like being Jesus? Was he just the teacher's pet all the time? Always did the right thing? Always gave the right answer? You know, uh, Did other kids sort of tease him and hate him? Because uh, he was... He, he was always right, you know, and he, he never really made mistakes. What was his favorite subject in school? You know, the questions like that, questions that we may ne never know. But we have a clue what it was like when Jesus was growing up. Because if you want to know what it was like when Jesus was growing up, ask the people who saw it. And here, we're listening to the people who saw Jesus grow up. And for them, what's their reaction to Jesus now that he's begun his ministry? Where'd this come from? Isn't he that normal kid? Isn't he the son of a carpenter? You know, for them, Jesus wasn't Superman. For them, he was a good kid. Obeyed his parents. Never did anything wrong, except, you know, when he was 12, that whole Jerusalem trip and all. But other than that, Jesus was a just a good, normal kid. So what was their problem? Well, now Jesus had returned with a group of disciples. He'd come back to his hometown. He was healing people. He was teaching people with incredible wisdom. And the people didn't know what to make of it. It says that the people were offended. This is the word they were scandalized. This was a scandal. You might say, how can this be a scandal? Can't they just have a misunderstanding? No. These people were deeply offended. And you might think, well, if it's one of us, you know, shouldn't the paper say local boy makes good? You know, shouldn't they put a sign out front, hometown of Jesus, the Son of God, something like that? You know, you travel through Henrietta, Oklahoma, and there's a sign there that says, home of world champion cowboys, Jim Shoulders and Troy Aikman. You know, they're proud of their, 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 the, the young men that grew bigger than the town, right? Well, shouldn't that be true of Nazareth? Shouldn't they be proud of Jesus because he's become a big name? He might bring fame to Nazareth, right? Well, here was the deal. There was an ancient belief, and it still exists to this day in many places, that where you're born and who you're born to determines who you become. Oh, you're the son of a carpenter? That's all you'll ever be. Oh, you're the, you're the son of a farmer? You will be a farmer. God has ordained it. That is your lot in life. Oh, you're, you're the son or the daughter of a teacher? You can become a teacher. And that's it. See, for them, it wasn't just a matter of Jesus succeeding. They accused him of overreaching. Oh, he thinks he's better than us. He's trying to become big time. Doesn't he know what God has made him? If God wanted him to be a prophet, he would have been the son of a prophet. 
And so they accused him of overreaching. And so their basic question was this, how can a boy born out of wedlock in our little town, uh, raised in our little town, that we watched growing up, all of a sudden and start to interpret the Torah like this? Their basic assumption was, questionable origins make questionable character. And that's who Jesus was supposed to be to them. You know, you and I, we need to be careful not to prejudge people based on what side of town they grew up on, uh, who their parents were, how they were raised. God can do an incredible work in people's lives. With Jesus, it was obviously a significant thing what they were doing. So Jesus was rejected. How does he respond? In verses 4 to 6, we read, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives, and in his own household. First thing Jesus did, he evaluated their rejection of him. He didn't say, oh, they just misunderstood. They weren't just mistaken, but they looked directly at the Son of God, and they rejected him. You know, in the, in the end, when we stand before Christ, and there's that great separation between the, the sheep on one side and the goats on the other, there's no middle ground. There's no, oh, but my circumstances were this. No, listen, in the end, you either accept him or you reject him. You receive him or you deny him. There's no nuance. There's no gray area. Jesus is pretty good at evaluating where we stand with him. And his evaluations are always correct. Secondly, and this is amazing to me in verse 5, when Jesus is rejected, he stops working. Look at verse 5. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Mark says it in a way that Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospel don't say it. Mark is strong with these words. Jesus could not do any work there except a few things. He was unable to work among these people. Why is that? How could Jesus be unable to do anything? He's God, right? Absolutely. Jesus can do all things that he wants to do. He has all authority. That's clear. But he has chosen in his wisdom to respond to our faith. And if we have no faith, Jesus will stop working eventually. The focus here is not on Jesus' inability, but on the amazing lack of faith of the people that were here. The principle of, of this is simply this. A lack of faith stops God's work in your life. We need to be careful, even as believers. A lack of faith will stop God's work in your life. The next thing Jesus did, he marveled because of their unbelief. Verse 6 says that. He marveled because of their unbelief. He was amazed. Have you ever wanted to make Jesus say, wow? This made Jesus say, wow. That the Son of God standing right before them would be rejected. Jesus looked at that situation, and he said, amazing, incredible, wow. He marveled at how little faith these people had. You know, a lot of the stories that you read in Mark's gospel and the others, uh, when they're telling the stories of what happened to Jesus, the story comes to a conclusion by saying, and the people were amazed. 
the people marveled. Here, the, we have the same conclusion of this little story. Except it wasn't the people that were amazed. It was Jesus. Jesus saw their lack of faith and he said, incredible, amazing. Wow. It's not always good to make Jesus that impressed. Because it's not for a good end. By the way, in Mark's gospel, this is the last time Jesus ever goes to a synagogue. The last time he ever goes to a synagogue. A synagogue for Jesus, according to Mark, becomes a place of rejection. The modern day synagogue for God's people come together is the church. We need to be very careful to accept everything that Jesus says we do and become everything that Jesus wants us to become because it is a scary, scary thing when Jesus leaves a church. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but when it happens, the church usually doesn't even know it. It just starts dying, just starts slowly dying. We must always, always receive the teachings of God's word. Even the smallest teaching is significant. We must always make God's command superior to our traditions. We must always put people above rules. We must always tell Jesus yes. We can never ever as a church body look at the will of God, look at what we know God has called us to do and say to God, no, we're comfortable. We can't do that. And so Jesus moves his ministry from the synagogue to people's homes. And that's what he does in the next few verses. Verse 7 says, He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Here we have a group of people, these disciples, who have decided to receive Christ. And they've decided to do the work of Christ. And so Jesus begins to train them. For a time when he would leave them in the book of Acts, he's not going to be with them physically. They would be on their own, except they would have the replacement. They would have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who's come and he's taken the place. He stands beside them and really literally lives within them and empowers them to accomplish his work. And so Jesus begins to train them for that day. And he sends them out two by two to go into villages, to go into houses, and to take that message. What message? The message that is repent and believe in the gospel. And so they take that message two by two. And he wants them to be stripped bare of any kind of extras. He wants them to have only the, the most basic necessities. The staff that they were to take was for self-defense. And they didn't need anything else other than that. Why? Because these villages were very close together. And if they were rejected at one village, they'd be able to make it to another. And they were to depend on the hospitality of God's people. 
But what if they were rejected? Jesus said, shake the dust from your feet. Leave the town and take off your sandals and shake the dust from the sandals. This will be a sign. It will be a sign that they've rejected God. And judgment will come upon the people of that village. And so when you and I receive Christ, I want to be very clear. If you reject Christ, God will stop working in your life. If you reject Christ, you may not even understand that you're rejecting him. Because in your mind you may say, oh, I know who Jesus is. And I, I, I sort of understand some basic theological concepts. But if you're in your heart you're not following after him, you've rejected him. And there comes a point where God himself will stop working in your life and Jesus will say, wow. I did everything I could to reach that person. Wow. But if you receive Christ, I want you to know what you're getting into. The Bible tells us to count the cost before we build a building. The Bible tells us to count the cost before we decide to follow Christ. Right? And so if you follow Christ, number one, you're going to be on mission for him. And if he pairs you up two by two and he says, go to this village and preach the gospel, that's what you do. And that's what he told the disciples to do. If he tells you to be the very best teacher, the very best plumber, the very best farmer, the very best uh, parent, grandparent, the very best kid you can be for him, then that's what God has called you to do. If he calls you to be the very best student you can be for the glory of God, then that's what God has called you to do. And you must do what Jesus calls you to do. And so these disciples understood that. So if you're going to follow Christ, you must start to do his work and you must obey him. And when you receive Christ, you tell other people about him. There's no bones about it. You tell other people what's going on in your own heart. Verse 12, so they went out and they proclaimed that people should do what? That they should repent. The very same message Jesus had from the very beginning. And when you receive Christ, not only will you tell people the gospel, but you'll help them with their struggles. Look at verse 13. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Whether someone's problem is spiritual in nature, they just need an ear. They just need someone to listen to them. They need someone to pray for them. Or whether their problem is physical in nature and they need some financial help or they need some physical help, you are there for them. You are an extension of the body of Christ for them. You are on mission. If you decide to follow Christ... And for all of us who've already made that decision, let us be reminded of this, that God has called us to be his body, the body of Christ here on earth, through whom the Spirit of God works so that we can impact people's lives for eternity. And so make no mistake, you cannot be a follower of Christ and not be a part of his mission. You can't do it. If you're going to follow Christ, then to the best of your ability, you say yes to Jesus And anything he calls you to do and anyone he calls you to minister to, that's what you do.